Life Audio. You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today is part three of my series with Christopher Yuan and Rosaria Butterfield. Today we're going to be talking about the seven characteristics of false teachers. It's it's amazing. Uh, it was so interesting and edifying to me. I think it will edify you as well. And again, if you don't know Christopher and Rosaria, they uh, have written several books. Christopher's most recent book is Holy Sexuality in the Gospel. And he's done a video series that's coming out soon called The Holy Sexuality Project to help parents and grandparents to empower their teens to understand, embrace, and celebrate biblical sexuality. And Rosaria has a book coming out in September, I believe. You can order it now called Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. The forward is by Kevin DeYoung. It's such a good book. Please get this book. Uh, it's not long. And I've read a, an advanced copy and it is so important for Christians to read and leaders in the church to read, given where we are in the culture today and in the church. So good. So I hope you enjoy today's episode, part three of the series. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Here we go. Yeah, let's talk about the the characteristics of false teachers from that book. Yeah, um, so it, this is an amazing book. It is um, by Thomas Brooks, who is a, you know one of the one of the Puritans. The Puritans were very pastoral, and it's published uh, by this is Banner of Truth Press, and they publish these as they call them Puritan paperbacks. So they're they're small and 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 pretty easy and accessible. And um, the table of contents alone in a Puritan book is rich enough to like exceed, exceed, you know, the devotional, the devotional weight of, you know, of, of many of our mornings. They're just, they're just a powerful thing. And they're very systematic and expository, but in the back of this book, so this is a book called precious remedies against Satan's devices. And the, the point is that we do live in a supernatural world where Satan wants to destroy the church and destroy Christians and discourage you. And the primary way that he does it is to convince you that you don't need to repent of sin 
that sin is not your enemy. Sin is actually your friend. Sin is your good friend, and you need to make it your good friend and court it and cultivate it. And at the end of the book, he has um, seven characteristics of false teachers because he says these are not free-floating ideas. It isn't just that these ideas just kind of float out there in the world like pollution and, you know, we have no idea where they come from. They actually come from false teachers. And we just read that section in Ezekiel. So we know false teachers aren't necessarily people who, like, come at you obnoxiously, you know, and, and certainly Satan in the garden didn't do that. Satan in the garden did not come at Eve uh, just, you know, declaring everything he thought to be true. He was, well, dare we say, why? He was crafty. He was crafty, exactly. And so false teachers are false teachers for a couple of things. We read that verse in Ezekiel that said they're false teachers because they see the hole in the wall and they don't close it up. Instead, they let the demons come in, right, to make, make someone more hellbound than they were before. Now, that's a really interesting thing. We might not have thought of that. We might not thought, you know, we've often thought of false teachers as people who proclaim a falsehood. But Ezekiel says, no, it, you know, actually God says a false teacher is somebody who fails to protect the gospel. My friend Andrew Branch has been saying recently that the gospel is no more beautiful than when it is defended. That is mm -hmm. true. So here are some of the characteristics, seven characteristics of false teachers. Satan labors might and main by false teachers, which are his messengers and ambassadors to deceive, delude, and forever undo the precious souls of men. So that's the, that's the frame. So the first characteristic is false teachers are men pleasers. And, you know, what is the antidote to men-pleasing? Well, actually, the gospel is, is supposed to free you from men-pleasing because the God fear pleasing of God. is the antidote, yeah. Yeah, you fear God and then you fear don't God. fear men. And, and I think it's Proverbs 25 or 29 that talks about how the fear of, the fear of man is a snare, right? An, mm -hmm. a, an instrument of execution from which you don't deliver, you, know, you don't deliver yourself. So first of all, they're men pleasers. Yeah, Second, that's the, the, that's what I see with you know these Christian universities and so in these churches, et cetera, et cetera, who are kind of buying into all of this um, side B stuff and uh, revoice stuff and 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 even becoming gay affirming is they they are so concerned about what I mean. I don't even need to say his name, but, but he writes for the New York Times a lot. Um, but, you know, they, 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 um, they, it, yeah, it's, it's become this thing where I, I want to be, I want to please my congregation. I want to please the kids on the campus. I'm, I'm afraid of them. I don't fear God as much as I fear the kids on the campus throwing, right. a, you know, having a, a, a protest on campus about whatever I say. So it is, it is that man pleasing. Yeah, no. And, and which is where and, we get the, the whole, uh, we need to listen. Why is that? Because we not just want to please man. I think we also fear man. We don't fear God. We, we fear man. And so we want to listen to them more and, and please them more. And, and a word that has become a dirty word in my book uh, over the last, you know, five, 10 years is the word space. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Whenever I hear someone say space or space, you know, this, these spaces or, um, I'm so thankful for this space or that to me just means false. That's just false teaching. Some, there's something false going on in a space. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's borrowing it as from the world, the terminology and the frameworks. 
And there again, you wonder, um, and you know, Christopher has been getting some nice letters to his website. I, I to mine, Becca to his, and we're like the same people are writing to all of us. Which you, <laughs> you know, that's when you kind of wonder, like, who's in charge of the kindergartners? When did we decide the kindergartners should be the pastors? But let me just read to you one of the one of the vows um, um, that that pastors in my denomination have to take. There are nine ordination, installations, and licensure vows. Let me just read to you one. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord of men and nations, and that in loyalty and obedience to him, it is our duty to follow the noble example of the faithful confessors and martyrs of Jesus in their witness for divine truth, and in their sacrifices and labors to establish the kingdom of God on earth. To I follow the martyrs, in case you're not following the metaphor, to follow the martyrs means you are willing to die for the doctrine. Now, that's what pastors in my denomination have to assent to. Who are these pastors who are writing to us, Christopher and Beckett? They're, they 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 would be happily selling insurance if you told them that the ticket to being a pastor is you have to follow the martyrs. And so you have fear of men or you have fear of God. That's the first mark of a false teacher. The second. And, and to clarify what Rosario is talking about, we're not just, we're not saying like any pastors that are like, you know, who are following God's way and, and are, these are pastors, so-called pastors that are saying things like, you know, I had this guy come into my church and he's a member and he's a gay man in a gay relationship. How can I, you know, deny him membership, et cetera. You know, I see the, you know, this person loves Jesus, you know, it, it's just this one thing that is off. And so I, you know, I don't want to, uh, push them out of the church, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what we're talking about. These and what I'm talking about is who, who told him he was a pastor. And he can't he can't figure out how to manage church discipline to the glory yeah. of God and the good of this man whose soul is in harm. Mm-hmm. You know who what yeah. what ordination uh, you know vows did he take? I'm going to grow my church. I'm going to baptize 800 people in the ballpark this Saturday. I'm going to you know like what vows did he take? What I mean? What are the What's the objective of, of his call to the pastorate? Those are, I think, important questions because false teachers don't want to be insurance salesmen. They want to be your pastor. They want to be your elders. That's the point. Amen. We'll be right back after this short break. Yeah, and weren't it, didn't, uh, Christopher, didn't you tell, tell us that this, this pastor was saying that, um, that the the this person that was that was a practicing is a practicing homosexual but he believes that this person is genuinely saved right so there's some disconnect right there um and and, and it's misunderstanding the difference between uh progressive sanctification and unrepentance right um we're not talking about a Christian who sins right? and then repents, right. knows it's wrong. It's the Romans seven, that struggle with our flesh, Sarks, as Paul calls it, you know, 
our sin nature, but we're talking about people that are not only sinning and calling themselves a Christian, a brother, uh, but they are in unrepentance, which Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 5. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in unrepentant sin, and they've you know, gone through the Matthew 18 and, and, and confronted, et cetera, and told them. Uh, but so what these pastors are not doing, uh, they're not practicing the, the proper, what makes, what, what is a key, a, a key mark of a church, which is discipline. If there's no discipline occurring in your church, you're not a church. But it seems like it's even, it's even as Rosario was saying, it's like, who's ordaining these pastors? It's like, they're not even, they don't even know themselves. Like what, what's going on. They had a dream. Yeah. So that's like step one. Let's get the pastors in shape. Let's figure out what they need to know. And uh, so they can pastor the flock. Yeah, and if I can just, you know, tag onto what Christopher is saying, I think of a, a section of the Westminster Confession that has been so comforting to me over my, you know, now many decades of being a Christian and, and failing, right? And being a, you know, the more that you repent, the more, the more you know you need to repent. But it's chapter 15, section four, as there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation. So there is no sin so great, that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. That's a beautiful message there, right? So So who would want to deny this man repentance? His pastor? Hmm. I wonder who his pastor is working for. Yeah. Wow. You know, if we're denying people of 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we're not calling people to confession and repentance, then, you know, and the verse continues, you know, and God is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us, hallelujah, but then to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So there's no forgiveness and, and there's no cleansing that these pastors are calling people to and, and, and leaving people in their sin and then still, um, you know, saying, oh, you're still a Christian. Good for you. You know, keep going. You, you do you. That's, that's basically the, you know, the, the mantra of, of today. And so, yeah, that, that false teacher definitely is, you know, like, like Rosario saying is, um, you know, being a man pleaser, not a God pleaser. So Rosario, what's the second, what's the second? The second one is a really important one because we've talked before on the Beckett Cook show about famous Christians who write for big name secular presses and like to throw Christians under the bus. Well, sir, Thomas Brooks has a word for you. The second characteristic of a false teacher. False teachers are notable in casting dirt, scorn, and reproach upon the person's names and credits of Christ's most faithful ambassadors. Wow. Want to hear the third? <laughs> yes. I want to talk about the second. Because I think we've seen a lot of that, haven't we? Every, everybody who has deconstructed their faith wants to charge the church with these grand abuses, right? The, the church is filled with abuse. Right, right. right. We're, we're not talking about physical abuse and those yeah. things that need to be called yes. out. We're, yeah. ca- we're, we're, we're broadening out. out. 
You're or broadening out abuse so wide that for me to exercise what Jesus commands us in Matthew 18 uh, is just now called abuse. And um, yeah, so. Okay. Want the third characteristic? What's the third? False teachers are venters or expressors of the devices and visions of their own heads and hearts. Revoice anybody? I mean, really? Revoice had to have a a, a little self-help group of AFABs, assigned female at birth women? This is venting devices and visions of your own heads and hearts. That is allowing the sin nature that we do have in Adam. And that is not certainly entirely gone until we are glorified. We are battling with sin every day of our life on earth. You know, picture, I always tell my my students to picture those Narnia battles, uh, you know, and that's what we do every day. We drive a fresh nail into our choice sin every day, multiple times a day. And that's how we know that we have victory in Christ because we know to do that. But we are not using um, inventions of our own heads and hearts to excuse, rationalize, normalize, or even, God forbid, celebrate and affirm what is antithetical to God's call for our life and what is sin. Sin is our enemy. It is not our friend no matter how it dresses itself up and no matter how long we've known it or how intimately we've known it. Wow. I love that. Number four. Yes. And this, I was thinking about the letter, the, the letters we're getting. False teachers easily pass over the great and weighty things, both of law and gospel and stand most upon those things that are of the least moment and concernment to the souls of men. Anybody here been accused? I need to be engraved on every you know uh, evangelical church in in the country. Right. Think about Jude twenty three being saved as though in a fire. If that happens to you. You don't sue the fire department because you got a rib broken. You're thankful you're alive. So every time the tone police comes out, says, you know, our goal here is to be nuanced and winsome above all else. Well, Which is also known as the third way. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. It is. And you know, the problem with the third way, I loved the third way. I was, I mean, I, I seriously did. I don't know if Christopher, if you ever did, but I was really banking on the third way. And, <laughs> and then a Burgafell happened and you know what happened after a Burgafell happened? It's like a war and in war borders close and roads get washed out. And one of the roads that got washed out is the third way. So give us the definition of the third way. You go to the people, you meet the people where you are, and you and you don't say um, you're you are careful to use the language of the people. You you actually almost like um like a missionary learning the language. You concede your moral the moral language of the Bible to the moral language of the people. 
so that you can have an identity with them. And so you would say things like, instead of saying that sin is a transgression against the law of God and rebellion against the creation ordinance and a, a rebellion against the law and the gospel, you would say something like, sin is not God's best for you. And what happened before Obergefell is you kind of sort of could do that. But after Obergefell, right. when you did that, you were carrying water for the other team. Yeah. And that's the problem. The pro and you know, I loved the third way. I, I wish we I wish that, that the third I wish that, that war that that you know I wish we were still that epoch of the third way. I, I really do. I really, really do, but we're not. And so Christians are called to live life with our eyes open mm-hmm. and our feet planted where they are. And I think third way is also this let's just all agree to disagree. Yeah. So, um, so the third way is essentially, you know, it, it's uh, it used to be before the third way, you know, you already had two sides. You know, this is sin, and other people that said no, it's not sin. I think, um, I mean, I think the third way is like saying, well, we just agree to disagree. We can actually all have church and communion together with people who say uh, this is sin, and other people say that no, it's not sin. That, you know, this is this approach that was very winsome um, and, and a lot of people. And, and this is actually Revoice's approach. Um, mm-hmm. Who am I to say? Who am I to judge? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that places these things in this, um, you know, non-essential category. And I think we've so- totally oversimplified theology to be essential and non-essential. I don't think uh, the, the biblical writers ever had these categories um, we've created these categories because never would any biblical writer from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament ever talked about two things as being insignificant, idolatry and sexual immorality. Never. Those are the two big things that almost every single biblical writer really emphasizes, idolatry and sexual immorality. They're always at the uh, top of the vice list for Paul. Yeah. Always. And so it's not ever that we agree to disagree on idolatry. It's not ever that we agree to disagree on sexual immorality because those things are of eternal significance. And to add to that, part of how the third way becomes the third way is they will acknowledge that this 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 burden of homosexual desire makes me a sufferer first. Mm -hmm not a sinner first. I'm first suffering under the weight of Paul's, you know, I'm sorry, you know, Paul's admonition in Romans one and in, you know, Adam's sin, I'm, I'm under the curse, the weight of it. And so what I'm going to do for the betterment of my neighbor is steward my homosexuality for the glory of God, not mortify it, not kill it. And that really is, um, it falsifies what the blood of Christ means because the blood of Christ never makes an ally to the sin that it crushes on the cross. It can't, um, it just can't. So, so it's, um, it's a very, I mean, third wayism. although I totally confess and, and at least two of my books are like raw, raw third way. And I <laughs> repent and I'll tell you what, that road just isn't there anymore. We're at war and the war, the road got washed out and with the road, the favorite coffee shop that we all love too. And now we have to just face the music. 
And, and even going back and, and making this connection to uh, the celibate partnerships, yeah, um, yeah, that's a- what, what we see so much is this third way, which is totally trumpeted uh, throughout, uh, you know, this is the underlying of, of this. Um, in the paper that was written uh, was a lot on terminology, which, you know, oftentimes we're accused of, you know, uh, we're just quibbling over terminology, but they spend so much time, you know, uh, making redefinitions and no one has the right to redefine a word. Um, but they, they spend a lot of time on romance and basically there's so much ambiguity and, and nuance that you don't really understand, but they're making this point that, that, um, uh, it, because basically much of what, what I say and, and what we're saying is, uh, those, though there's no sex, a romantic same sex relationship is sinful. So there's a whole section on romance saying we can't define it. And yet there is, I mean, I actually talked about this in, uh, in my book, Holy Sexuality of the Gospel. Um, and I'll just read it. It says, some argue that it's unbearable burden for saying such attracted individuals to constantly have to parse out what non-sexual desires are platonic, permissible, in which are romantic, not permissible. But uh, spotting romantic desires isn't as hard as some make it. Romance is present when you're, and so I give all these lists of kind of clarifying, this is the difference between romance and your best friend. Romance is present when your heart races when you think about him. Throughout the day, you ponder, does she miss me right now? You know, your thoughts are fixated on planning out details of what you'll do next with him. You're jealous when she shows more interest in another. You get lost in his eyes. Her touch sends chills up your spine. You want him completely to yourself. You cry for days when the relationship changes or ends, which one of the main authors for Spiritual Friendship, you know, cried for days when his best friend um, was engaged. When my best friend got engaged, I was so happy for him. There were no tears of sorrow. I was, I was crying because I was so happy that this was a godly woman that he has found, not found, but um, that, that the Lord brought them, the two together. And, and, and the Lord has called them to this beautiful union of marriage. And there was no jealousy. I was so happy for them, for their good. When there, if I had any sorrow and I, and, and, and if it was for days, I mean, that's problematic. The reason why I say that is because there's no one in this person's life to call this, this author to repentance. Where's the pastor in his life when he sees, why are you crying? Oh, because my best friend is getting married. Repent. And that's specifically, love. this is where I think we need to get really specific. Because if you believe that you are a sufferer before you're a sinner, what you do is you charge God, you blame God, God, you made me this way. And, you know, what am I supposed to do? And this is, again, re- you know, doctrine of repentance. Thomas Watson says that, um, and this is the nature of true repentance in, in repentance and confession, we must so charge ourselves with sin as to clear God. Mm. And I think that's I where that. the whole romance issue. No, 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 no. You're still charging God with your sin. And no, we are, we believe, we reformed Christians believe that the Bible teaches, Romans 5 through 8, that we are culpable, we are responsible for our sin, including the sin of Adam. Um, Watson goes on to say, 
um, we must confess our sins with a resolution not to act on them over and over again. And so in some ways, when you hear people say, well, you know, I prayed, I tried to pray the gay way. God just didn't do it. Well, that's not it. You, when you pray that God would forgive you for a sin, you are committing yourself to no longer acting on that sin, whether it's an action of an emotion or whether it's an action of a physical nature. That's what real prayer is of the Christian, biblical, theological variety. And again, you get the sense that we're just talking about a different animal. When it, what concerns me is where there's life, there's hope. We're not, we're not yeah. suggesting that people are reprobates because they have fallen into false teaching. We know all kinds of people who have come out of cults. They've come out of, you know, all kinds of things. Um, God has led them out where there's life, there's hope. But we do know that false teaching makes false converts. It's very hard to proclaim the gospel to someone who believes they're already fine. Yeah. So let's move on to number five. What's the fifth? All right, number five uh, and number six go together. Okay. Number five, and this is all through the, some of the articles that we've been discussing on the other side here or perhaps some things that we might have read in the secular press, the Atlantic, New York Times. False teachers cover and color their dangerous principles and soul impostures with very fair speeches and plausible pretenses, with high notions and golden expressions. And that's where you get all the storytelling. Let me tell you my story. And I want you, as I tell you my story, your job is to empathize with me, not to sympathize with me. Joe Rigney has given us a great gift in his articles that make a distinction between empathy and sympathy. And he makes the very good point. If I'm drowning in the river, I don't want you to jump in and empathize with me. I want you to stand on the shore on solid ground and throw me a rope. So, you know, so there you have it. And then number six, um, you know, number six, false teachers strive more and more to win over men to their opinions Mm -hmm. rather than better them in their Christian life. And so that's where you get these parachurch pieces. Mm hmm op-ed pieces and parachurch ministries that um, that that really tell you, and, and Revoice is a great example, the church, I'm here to serve the church. The church isn't doing enough. The church doesn't know how to minister to people who are struggling with homosexuality. Why not? What church doesn't? My church knows how to do that. So does yours. What What's going on? And then the seventh is that false teachers make merchandise of their followers. Second Peter 2, 1 through 3. Anytime you hear a pastor tell you how many people he baptized on Easter, anytime you are, you know, anytime you're doing that, you're you're doing number counting like that for the purpose of, you know, really tooting your own horn, um, you are making merchandise of human beings 
social media has been um, has really contributed to the rise and the fall of false teachers because social media has very much put on blast and given lots of kudos and credit to all seven of these um, characteristics. And again, this is just a little appendix tucked in the back of a little book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, that is extremely timely for our day. And um, unlike our generation, the, um, the Puritans were very systematic in the way they think. They're expository in the way they work things out. And um, anything negative, like anything that warns you against what not to do, would be countered with even more positive applications of your hmm. Christian faith. And so the Puritans wanted people to have what they would call an experiential. And what they mean by that is, you know, to know Christ, to know, to have union with Christ um, and to know Christ crucified and to know Christ resurrected and to know him better today than you did yesterday and to strive to know him better tomorrow than you did today and to see the word of God as the, um, the perfect manifestation of the heart of Christ and to, to shore it up in our heart and our minds and our souls, to memorize it, to sing it, to, to proclaim it to one another. Um, we will have the word of God in heaven and in the new Jerusalem. It will adhere to uh, those places. Death will not destroy it. You will not be parted with the word of God upon your death. You will be parted with the things of this world. You will be parted with the foolishness of these um, parachurch ministries we've talked about. And I should say, I don't think all parachurch ministries are foolish, but I think when they start to replace the church or see themselves as as something that somehow the church can't somehow manage without, that's nuts. Keys or people the- are called out of the church. They're actually encouraged to leave your church. Uh, that's, 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 that yeah, is I- not even a para-church. That's, yeah. that's just a para. And many yeah. of the yeah, para-churches are more yeah. para than churches, pointing right. people to the church. And, and a sobering thing that we always need to remember, uh, you know, Matthew 18, 6 is just a very real sobering reminder. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Right. And when there's this uh, false humility of, um, you know, saying, um, uh, you know, we, we don't know whether romance is, is sin or not. And we're not, we're not going to get into that discussion as, as it said in this, in this paper. Um, you know, we, we can't attempt to answer this question. Well, that's probably the most important question you need to figure out because uh, not, not the most important, but that is a very important question that is just trivializing the, um, if you're just talking and listening to people and then, but not, actually calling them to repentance, but just trivializing, well, we don't know if this is sin or not. Um, and I would then, say also, oh, God, I'm sorry. Oh, then, then, you know, that passage about a millstone needs to be a yeah. reminder. And in addition to that, you know, these parachurch ministries often give you a, a list of new things you need to learn so that you can be a good Christian. Okay. You thought you understood it. 
And that's where, you know, that's where faithful Christians need to go to Hebrew six. And you might want to test these proclaimers of these new things against this list. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and laying on of the hands and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. Now, what are those elementary principles? Well, um, they're the basics we learn early in, earlier in the chapter. They're the basics like heaven and hell. And yet some of the teachers we've talked about aren't even sure about that, right? They're calling into question whether hell is eternal. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't think you need much more than that to say, uh, yeah, no, thank you. Not in my church. Amen. Well, amen to that. Thank you so much, Rosario and Christopher, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. This, I think this conversation, these conversations are so edifying for the church and so ne- needed. Thank you for doing this. Oh, thank you for having us on. I love you guys much so much uh yeah ditto thank you so much i can't think of a more important time for the the church to really wake up and realize we need to lead not follow Hmm. so um i'm so grateful to both of you brothers that uh, we're able to lock arms and uh you know walk together on this it's a hard days but we have each other (laughs) thank you guys Thank thank you for watching and we'll see you next week Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Thank you to the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find more faith-centered podcasts about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. This is Perseus Poku, host of the Sound Reasoning Ministry podcast. Learn how to share and defend your faith by listening to us weekly. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.